Well, real quick, uh, before we jump into our brand new summer teaching series titled Four Letter Words, I want to tell you this Thursday, oh, that's a complete lie, this Wednesday is our, uh, our first Wednesday, and we do this on the first of every single month, and if you've never been, uh, I think you're missing out on some sacred space time, and we just normally sing a couple songs, and then I do a little devotion, a little teaching, and we have like 15, 20 minutes of prayer time, and I promise you, some of you are like 15, 20 minutes of prayer, I can't even do a 30-second prayer, right? Uh, it goes fast. We have guides for you. It just goes quick. It's only an hour long, 6 to 7 o'clock, and that's it. And so there's, if you've got young family, you got kids, Amy and our kids team have stuff for your kids too from 6 to 7 o'clock, so you can come into this space kids-free and let them be over there, and it's just a great time. And I want to encourage you to come this, su- this Sunday. Well, I do want you to come this Sunday, but I also want you to come this Wednesday to it. Uh, last month, I started out uh, unpacking Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23 is one of those, if you've been in church world for a while, like it's one of the most famous psalms that you can possibly read. It's only six verses long. And I started unpacking that because I think it's the most misquoted and misunderstood psalm in all 150 psalms. And so we're giving you a lot of, I mean, a lot of uh, more biblical context. And when David wrote it, what is the understanding? What's going on? And I unpacked two verses at a time. So in May, I unpacked verse one and two. Uh, This month in June, since we're in June, I'll unpack three and four. And just to let you guys know, we're going to take July off because 4th of July is right there, almost in the middle of the week, and then we'll resume back in August with the rest of Psalm 23. So encourage you, 6 to 7, and uh, it'll be a good time. Only an hour long. I think the longest we went was 7.03 one time. I think that, and that's all right too. But hey, we're going to jump into our four-letter words. This is our summer teaching series that we're going to run June through July, and we're going to focus on, obviously... Four-letter words. But some of us, we're really good at certain four-letter words. We're really good at using them, not around mom or dad, not around kids, and definitely not in this space. Maybe for some of us, we're really good in the workplace, saying certain four-letter words. Maybe for some of us, those words come out when you're hammering and you take a hammer and nail your thumb. And you sit and say that word. Or perhaps you're cut off in traffic, and you want to wave to them to let them know you're there, but you gave them a one-finger wave, right? I swear I was just pointing to heaven. That's what I was doing, right? No, liar. (laughs) Or maybe for some of us, if you got young kids, and there's chocolate pudding everywhere, on the couch and in the refrigerator, you're like, what is happening? So there's so many four-letter words that aren't good that are maybe perhaps in our vocabulary, that when life puts the squeeze on us, they may come out. I think you and I are like a tube of toothpaste. Because when the pressures of life come and squeeze, things come out. And the problem with words is you can never get them back in. So this series, we want to unpack some Good words, good four-letter words that hopefully will improve your life, improve your relationships, and help you live like Jesus better 
In fact, Jesus talks about this idea and found in Luke chapter 6. Here's what Jesus was telling everyone. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his what, friends? In his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then Jesus says this. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And for many of us, sometimes we say, I don't know where that came from. It just came out. Jesus knows where it came from. It came from right here. So let's replace and take a time out for the next seven more weeks or so and say, what are some good words and good things that we can get in our heart so that we don't regret some words that we say? Because our words can ruin our life. Our words can ruin relationships. And our words can ruin our testimony to people that don't know Jesus, that know we do follow him. So the very first word I want to kick off this series with it's the SH word. It's shed. Some of you are like, what? Are we really going to? No, I'm not that evil. All right, shed. Turn your neighbor and say, shed. shed. It's a four-letter word that I, if this gets into you, your life will be changed. So if you want to follow along, if you want to jump into the Bible, I'll have it on the screen. Turn with me to the Newer Testament, John chapter 11. John 11 is where we will start. And let me give you a little history on uh, John 11. We're entering into a story where there's three characters in a city that's mentioned immediately in John chapter 11. You're introduced to a guy by the name of Lazarus, who, whose name actually means um, God will help, which is incredible because we're going to see that be played through in the life of Lazarus. He has two sisters, Mary and Martha, who are very concerned about their brother, and they we're told that they're in the city of Bethany which is about geography. It's about a mile and a half uh, just southeast of Jerusalem. So not too far from the main hub of the religious people of Jesus' time. And they are getting word. They need to send word to realize something's happening to our brother. And we need Jesus here. In John chapter 11, verse 3, it says this. So the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus. The one you love is sick. John immediately tells us that Lazarus and Jesus have a very special brotherly relationship. Not brothers like biological, but brothers in faith. That there is a deep connection, friendship that's happening. And we need to let you know, Jesus, the one you love, by the way. Notice they didn't just say, My, our brother is sick. They wanted to put that intimacy there. Jesus, the one you love, is sick. And they get the word to Jesus, and here's Jesus' response in verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And you sit and sit there, and this is where tension lies in the story. Jesus, you seem very insensitive. Why are you waiting two more days? The one you care about is sick. Shouldn't you go now and go heal him? Shouldn't you go now and at least be with Mary and Martha? But John's telling us, I want you to realize that Jesus ain't moving. And all of a sudden, Jesus realized after two days have passed, he goes, disciples, we got to go to Bethany. And the disciples are like, wait, 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 Jesus, the last time you went over there, they tried to stone you to death. We're not going over there. 
Jesus says, I, we're going to Bethany. We got to go. And Thomas, the disciple, Thomas, the doubter, who doubted who Jesus was after he was buried and raised back from life, that Thomas who said, you know what? I don't believe Jesus is alive. That Thomas is the Thomas that says, all right, Jesus, we'll go with you to the death. If they're going to stone you, let them stone us as well. And it says this, on his arrival, in verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for how many days, friends? Four days. Now, a quick time out. Anytime you get into the biblical text, you have to understand repetitive words bring significance to the story. John is letting you know that it's four days. We're going to come back to this. He's going to tell you again four days, and we're going to understand the importance there. So we'll come back to that. So anytime you're reading the, in your own quiet time, devotion time over to the side, and this thing is repeated over and over, take note, because the writer's trying to tell you something. And all of a sudden, he's finally there. Four days later, Martha realizes, finally, Jesus is here. Martha comes out. This says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus and Martha have this exchange real quick. And Martha's just mad and she's weeping. She's crying. Jesus, why, why, why? We sent word from you or word to you and you stayed there. We know you could have healed him. We know you could have set him free. And then Jesus is going to remind Martha of who he is. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Martha, your brother is died, but I need to tell you and remind you who I am. I am the resurrection and the life. And then Mary, she comes out of the house. She realizes Jesus is here talking to my sister Martha. She comes out and says the same words to Jesus. If you would have only been here, Jesus, my brother would not be in this tomb. He would be alive in this moment. And she's weeping in the, at this time. And look at John, verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was, what are these two words? He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now the original text is written in Greek. This has so much meaning right here to understand what Jesus is experiencing when he realizes that Lazarus, his friend, is dead and Mary and Martha are weeping. Not only are they weeping, but the Jews and their friends are weeping as well. So we have this term, deeply moved. In the Greek, it, 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 it reads, embrimaomai. Let me hear you say, embrimaomai. Oh, you guys are good. Look at you. Little Greek nerds now, right? You're like me. Here we go. This is so meaningful. The English translators got a good word in there for us, but let, we're going to dig onto the surface a little bit and understand the two main meanings of this Greek word. When Jesus is deeply moved, when he sees suffering, when he sees the brokenness of the world, what does Jesus feel when he's deeply moved? This word means the venting of fierce anger. In other words, Jesus is seeing the pain of the Jewish people weeping and Mary and Martha weeping and Jesus is looking at the pain and suffering of this world and going, oh. 
He's venting this fierce anger because he knows this is not God's plan in this world. This word also means anger and snorting in animals. And Jesus is deeply moved at this moment. Because he looks at the pain of people and says, I'm with you. This is not right. In other words, in this moment, as he sees pain and suffering and brokenness of the world, you could say that Jesus is outraged in this moment. A holy outrage. And then the two shortest verse in the entire Bible comes next. So it's only two words, but packed with meaning. In the midst of seeing all the chaos, Jesus wept. But he sees something that's not right, and he sees humanity suffering. He's sitting there going, oh, oh, this is not right. And in the midst of it, this word wept means the pouring down of tears. And he's weeping with Mary and Martha. And he knows this is not, this is not the way God intended it. And for some of you, I just helped you memorize your very first Bible verse ever. It's only two words right here. So when your spouse says, well, you don't read the Bible, you don't memorize Bible verses, I do too. Name one. Jesus wept. Boom. Right? There you go. John eleven thirty five. 35. Shortest verse. There it is. So he's weeping. And John wants to remind you, Jesus isn't just done weeping. He's going to remind you again, once again, he's once more deeply moved. That venting of fierce anger, that anger and snorting in an animal, Jesus is doing that again when he came to the tomb. And it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And here's what Jesus said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. There's some stankiness going on. For the, he's been dead. He's been there for how many days? Four days. And you want to sit there and say, absolutely, that's stanky right there. But why did John remind us all for the second time? Four days. Because in the first century world, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, had a teaching and theory about death. They believed that once a person died, that their spirit would leave them and hover over their body. And their bodies decayed a lot faster than ours do today. We eat all those food with um, all those bad stuff, you know. (laughs) We don't decay as fast. And as the spirit, they believed the spirit would leave the body and hover there. And day number four, bodies decayed where their face first began to change. And by day four, the spirit would not recognize you and your body anymore. And they believe that's when the spirit went to heaven. Because it would not go back into a body it doesn't know and recognize. In other words, John's telling his Jewish readers and to us, Lazarus, he's dead dead. He's not just, well, maybe the spirit's going to go back into him and he's going to come. No, 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 no. 
He's dead. And then Jesus is going to continue a conversation. He said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And they're going to have this discussion. Jesus says, you know, I'm glad I wasn't here for all your, for your purpose. I'm glad I wasn't here. It's going to bring glory to God what I'm about to do. But I'm glad I did not come when you wanted me to come. And then when he said all of this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him, what friends? Let him go. I brought him back to life. Now it's your responsibility. Jesus said to them, go take off Lazarus' grave clothes and let him. Let him go. See, this is where you and I find ourselves in the story. We have grave clothes. We have clothes that we wear. We may not be proud of. Those addictions that we have. An abortion that you had that you never thought God could forgive. The affair that took place. You weren't in a good state of mind, but you remember that moment. You know how reckless you are with your spending. You'll never get out of debt. Never make enough. And they're just grave clothes. You remember that divorce. You, you grew up always wanting that marriage and that family, and you never thought in a million years would I ever be getting a divorce. And you try things on for approval. Just want to be loved. We got grave clothes on. And the problem with our grave clothes is that we know we don't want to wear it. But this has become who we are. This becomes our identity. This is who we think we are now. And we're almost, in a sense, we're comfortable living like this. We're comfortable because I know if I shed it, I know if it's gone, I'm going to feel exposed. And so we keep running back to the same thing, whatever that thing is in your life. And you just say, this is who I am now. I'm just filthy and I'm dirty. This is what I wear and I'm declaring over your life this morning, Jesus says, come out of your grave, friends. Come out. Jesus did not die for you to live this way. He did not, he does not want to see you. His heart aches when we put on grave clothes. But it feels good, this is all I know. You have no idea the freedom on the other side if you begin to shed this. Oh, there's freedom. 
Why should I even ever shed this thing? You can shed it so you can be made new in Jesus. But Ryan, this is who I am. I'm a divorcee. I'm the unforgiven. I'm full of shame. I'm full of guilt. That's what the enemy wants to tell you this morning. You need to know once you shed this, you got to walk in the new you. You are healed. You are forgiven. You are cherished. You are adored. You have grace. You have mercy. You have power. You have resurrection power in your life. So start shedding your grave clothes. But instead, we slap improvement stickers on. Maybe if I come to two services, God will love me a little bit more. Slap an improvement sticker. Maybe if, maybe if I pray three times a day, slap an improvement sticker. You can slap as many improvement stickers on you want. The only sticker that matters on your life is the one that says made new by Jesus Christ. And we got to understand this. It's the verse that I go to all the time. When I help people who are struggling. When I help people who just feel like this. I remind people of the verse, John 10.10. Probably, it may be definitely top two statement of Jesus that I absolutely love. He says this in John 10.10. 10, the thief comes. Can we read the gold? The thief comes to steal and, and we have to understand that Jesus is saying the enemy of your soul wants to steal life out of you. He wants to kill and destroy you. He wants you still bound in grave clothes. Stay that way. That's who you are. No one will love you, but Jesus isn't done. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the what, friends? you got to have it to the full. Jesus says, I died for something greater than this, so start shedding your grave clothes. And then I'm reading through John 11 this week, and I pause. Jesus, in his Word brings life to Lazarus. Lazarus, come out! And then the next thing we're told, Jesus said to them, take his grave clothes off. Jesus, why don't you just like bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, boop, and gone. Jesus, why didn't you you brought the man back to life. Jesus, why didn't you walk up to Lazarus, the one whom you love, and begin to unwrap the grave clothes? But he told his followers, I brought him to life. Go unwrap him. Take off his clothes. Who in your life has God brought in your path? that walks like this. And God's saying, I put them in your path so you can help them shed their grave clothes. But let me put a warning. It's gonna be messy if you're willing to meet people like this. You're gonna be stanky. Turn your neighbor and say, you're gonna be stanky. 
This message is for us, that we got to shed it. But the message is also for others to realize as followers of Jesus, we're called to go shed grave clothes of people who are bound in their brokenness. You say, Ryan, how can... I've been living this way for far too long. How can I even do this? My life, my, you don't know my life, Ryan. I know one last four-letter word that allows you to shed it, that looks at you like a proud parent would look at any child that just did, that just out of, that just did something great. It's love. That God still looks down at you looking like this and says, I still love you. I died for all this. You don't have to clean this up yourself. That's my job. My job is to clean this up. Your job is just to come to me. But I can't, God. I look like this. I know, but I love you. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Just come. And if you're not a believer this morning and you've been offended by Christians, because in some Christians, not those at Radiant Life, but some <laughs> shed this before you sit by me at church. Clean up a little bit, at least get half the stains off, then I will then I'll jump in, maybe. Maybe for some of us, we have a tendency to run away from those that look like this, that are still in grave clothes, but Jesus always ran to those people. Why? He wanted everyone to shed because he first loved us. So as the worship team makes their way up, I did this with first service, and I, I want to do it with you guys as well. And um, It may be uncomfortable for some. Some of you that attend Radiant Life regularly, this may be uncomfortable. You first-time guests, like, hey, welcome to Radiant. Uh, this may be uncomfortable as well. Uh, but I feel like as we kick off our four-letter words, I feel like just praying a blessing over you. But I want you to go into a posture of receiving it. So I'm just going to ask that your hands go like this, like I'm giving you something, but God's giving you it. You're receiving it. And I want to pray over you if you're willing to do this. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray with your hands up. Father, we lift our hands high to the heavens to you right now. We're praying that if we're still wearing grave clothes, that your resurrection power would come down upon us. Father, we're praying that you would give us the strength and courage for those people that you put in our lives that we go after to help shed their grave clothes. And Father, with your resurrection power, May we live like your son, Jesus, more and more as we shed our grave clothes. 
Give us the courage. Give us the strength. Give us the time. Give us the energy. Give us your power to do what we must do. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. At this time, our ushers are going to come forward with the baskets. And we're going to receive this morning's tithe and offering and just continue in worship through that. And you Radiant Lifers, you guys know what to do with the handout and the bottom connection card. Rip that off, put it in the bucket. You guys are awesome in that and helping us with attendance and what's happening there. And uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, we encourage you, don't put yours in the basket. Hold on to yours. Bring it out to the Guest Central right out in our lobby, our first lobby before you get to the gym, uh, right there. And we've got a little gift bag for you as an act of appreciation. But I want to let you guys know, on Thursday I was walking around and uh, I don't know about you, but I like, I like, it's just me. I just, I don't really like music, but I love worship music. And I was in here just worshiping on Thursday alone. I had all the lights off. It's just me, God. And I was praying for you guys. One of the things I just constantly was in prayer about is God. May we continue to be a God first church in every area every area of our lives. And I want to thank you for those that are. But God first. You wake up every morning and give the first to God. You give the first and fruit, first fruits that we're called to. God says, don't rob me. God, that's a blessing for you. You give God your first with your time and your talents. And I want to thank you can't do what we do without you. I mean that. We cannot. You guys are amazing. And I think we've seen the blessing of God because of our obedience, putting him first. So I want to pray for this offering. And I want to pray specifically that this offering would help people shed some grave clothes. There's too many in our community still looking like this. We got the best news ever, people. We have the only thing that can shed this. They can go to counseling, which I highly encourage, particularly Christian counseling, please. But the resurrection power of Jesus allows them to shed this. We've got the message. Let's go shed some great ones. So as the baskets pass, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to worship again. We're going to praise Jesus. So let me pray for us this morning. Father, bless both the gift and the giver. Father, I pray that this offering would go to shed grave clothes. I pray that this offering would go to shed the grave clothes that are still on people in this room. I pray that this offering would have a ripple effect on our community. That those that aren't even here, that we've never seen their face before, that they would come in and experience you, Jesus, and find freedom in you. That they're able to shed. And may we be reminded, may we always be reminded of your praise. You are worthy. You are worthy. Our shame, our guilt is gone. May your praise ever be on our lips. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said.